Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Wire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast brought to you by ESPN Plus, the home of UFC 249. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Littering. You can follow John at on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Roto Jake. Today we're going to make our picks for the biggest fights, mostly the pay-per-view card at UFC 249. Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson, this one's being billed as the most stacked card of all time. We finally get fights back. We finally get sports back. Uh, so I'm pretty excited for this. How about you, John? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely excited. I think as, you know, big sports fans, both of us, it's obviously great to have something back. Obviously, in the grand scheme of things, athletics is not that big a deal, and it pales in comparison to, uh, you know, things going on in the world right now. But uh, it's a good distraction, if nothing else. So uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed that uh, everybody gets to Saturday in one piece. Yeah, we were we were chatting before this. It's like, okay, first we got KBO. Got some NASCAR coming up. We might have German soccer in June, and but uh, but we finally get fights here. It's been a couple months since we last talked, John. Uh, you know, we talked for the Romero Adesanya fight that turned out to be not so hot, but the co-main event, of course, was awesome. Um, and then the Brazil, shortly after that, was the last UFC fight for a few months. So uh, the big thing that's changed, I guess, in our world as far as fantasy goes, is uh, FanDuel has added a game to the offering because you know, with one of the few sports in town. These sites definitely have to take advantage and, and, and it helps them stay afloat for sure. So we have a new FanDuel game and I wanted to just, uh, you know, we've always focused this thing ex- exclusively on DraftKings because that was the only show in town. But I'll try to mention a little bit of FanDuel salaries. There are some noteworthy differences, but I also want to talk about just the difference in the style of the game. I mean, the biggest difference is uh, there's a captain. 
Uh, so and you get one and a half times the scoring for the fighter you designate as your captain. The salary you pay for that fighter doesn't change, but you get one and a half times the scoring. So basically, you know, for GPPs, you maybe want to pick someone a little bit unique. Um, otherwise, uh, it's basically the guy who you think is most conf- you're most confident is going to win and most confident to be a uh, a big scorer here. Uh, you know, I, we talked about this in the comments of your articles, uh, but did you have any early leans for a captain spot? I mean, mine was Francis Ngannou. That seems to be the chalk play, right? Yeah, I would think so. Um, we'll talk about that fight in depth in a little in a few minutes, mm-hmm. but yeah, that would certainly be the the leading candidate. Um, mm-hmm. I guess you could make some arguments with some lesser, you know, some cheaper fighters. Uh, I mentioned Don Cerrone, uh, maybe Carla Esparza if you think she has a strength advantage. But mm-hmm. if you're going just straight up confidence level, I, I think Ningan is the pick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and he's not the biggest betting favorite on this card necessarily. That that honor goes to Ryan Spann at minus three ninety. I'm worried about that fight with Sam Alvey. That's not one we're going to discuss in depth, but I think that one stands to be pretty slow pace here. So the first big difference is the captain on FanDuel, of course. Then there's general salary differences. Most of the scoring categories, though. They're pretty much the same. The only diff- the big differences we highlighted here, FanDuel awards five points for a submission attempt, and they also award three points for a takedown defense. Uh, unlike DraftKings, it doesn't seem that they award points for reversals or sweeps, so th- you know things like passing guard or, or, or you know reversing after you get taken down, you know maybe taking your opponents back, that kind of thing, to put it in the simplest terms possible here. But um, do you see, I, I don't know if, the, if that submission bonus is enough to really change my strategy at times. John, maybe guys like uh, we were talking earlier, uh, submission specialists, uh, Olenek and Verdun, they go against each other. So that's going to be a little bit difficult. Um, you know, maybe a guy like uh, Jacare Souza could be a little bit more more valuable. Is that kind of the direction you're heading with that or, or don't you see much change? I mean, I don't think I see a ton of change. Uh, guys like that would probably be the guys who are the most valuable as far as the difference between the two. But it's really – we talk about this a lot. It's really hard. Even guys like that who are you know, some of the best submission specialists in the world, it's really hard to go into a fight and project a submission mm-hmm. simply because it, you know, it comes as a result of what happens during the fight. You know, you know, there's a whole set of circumstances that need to take place in order for a guy to be able to clamp on a submission. And uh, it's easier with a knockout. You, know, you say a guy's got huge power. You know, those come more frequently. So, you know, I would keep my keep it in the back of my mind. But as far as setting a lineup or whatever, I, I don't think it would have a huge impact on what I did. Yeah. And on any other card, I think that would make Alexio Lennox more attractive just because he's the boa constrictor. Yeah, he's getting older. He's had 60 some pro fights, tons of submissions. I think 40 or so submission wins. I don't, I don't have his page up. I'm just kind of spitballing here. But uh, on a normal night, Alexio Lennox, you know, that might be a little bit more attractive. However, you get him going against Fabricio Verdun. Obviously, he's off the long layoff. You know, I think he he popped for uh, something a while back. Um, but Verdun is known as one of the best heavyweight submission artists of all time. So I don't think you can necessarily boost Olenek as a big underdog in there. Maybe you uh, boost Verdun a little bit. I'm a little shaky on that one. Maybe we can talk about that fight a little bit more towards the end. But uh, those are the big highlights. You know, there are slightly differences in the amount of points for like a fourth and fifth round win. It's different on FanDuel, not so much on DraftKings, but generally they're proportionate. 12 points for a knockdown on FanDuel, uh, 10 on DraftKings. Uh, the other thing I mentioned, the, the there'll be less ties on FanDuel, I think, with points, six uh, points awarded for a significant strike. I also... I'm not 100% sure on this, but I don't believe they use the same stat provider, so you might see some slightly different numbers there. So uh, any closing thoughts on that before we jump into the card? No, I mean, I think it's just another instance of, you know, you got to get probably get a few events under your belt to get a rough idea of if there's really any difference in the game or anything. Um, For now, I'd probably just tell people to lean towards whatever they were planning on doing on DraftKings and just copying it over or whatever. I don't think you're going to see a gigantic difference either way. Yeah, uh, and my big takeaway is uh, FanDuel even more so than DraftKings. You're going to have to leave some salary on the table here because I think FanDuel leaves the door open to get five favorites in your lineup here. But that's that's a pretty chalk lineup, and maybe that's okay for the cash games they're throwing out there. But, uh, you know, for their big tournament, let's see. What is their big tournament? I want to check that out quick. I was just – I had a thing up in the Kimura that was uh, – 
Um, Google DraftKings, at least we know their big tournament is uh, giving away two hundred grand to first, a million dollars overall in the prize pool. That's the best we've seen uh, in MMA history here. FanDuel's a little bit less than that. Their Saturday UFC Octagon, it's an eight eighty eight entry, uh, three hundred thousand dollars guaranteed with a hundred grand to first on FanDuel. And uh, like I said, DraftKings the entry, it's a twenty dollar entry. Uh, 200 to first, 1 million guaranteed. So uh, those things are, they're, they're on pace to fill up. I saw DraftKings was uh, was doing their marketing thing. So if you're thinking about it, maybe go for an entry right now and um, and then and save that and adjust as the week goes on. Maybe if we see a unique weigh-ins, that kind of thing. Anyway, before we jump in, I want to mention, uh, you know, we're still partnered up with our friends over at ESPN+. Plus. You can sign up with the links on our site and we'll give you a free month of Rotowire full service, all sports, DFS tools. That includes eSports, KBO, what have you. Go to rotowire.com slash subscribe and locate the ESPN promo plus option on the bottom here. Of course, uh, if you already have an account, click subscribe now in the top right to begin. Uh, you can just find me on Twitter if you have any problems with that here. Uh, I think this pay-per-view is going to do awesome buys for what this, this worth. Uh, over under a million pay-per-view buys, John? Oh, man. I'd probably take under just because of the economy right now. Yeah, um, the, the economy is the big That's the tough factor. part. Yeah, because uh, obviously you got quadruple unemployment from the last uh, um, pay-per-view they had, but I think people are itching. Yeah, based on our... They are. Our tra- I mean, you're going to have bars and restaurants closed, too. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's going to be tough. Well, I think bars and restaurant closing actually might help the pay-per-view number because you have, you know, 100, 200 people pack into a, you know, a bar or those people are at home and may have to think about buying it themselves now. So I think that helps. And also, if people are following the less than 10, you know, um, people might not have UFC parties and stuff like that. Uh, it, it, it depends. The way... Traffic spike for KBO yesterday over on the website. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of interest in this, but uh, you know that's a whole other uh, discussion to have. We'll see. I think it'll do over a million. Um, I think Dana's going to pull this off. But anyway, let's jump in here. Um, we've got our main event. It's going to be an interim lightweight championship fight. Of course, this is supposed to be Habib Nurmagomedov and, and Tony Ferguson. Those guys are supposed to fight on April 18th. That fight uh, got scrapped. Well. Khabib dropped out because he was kind of stuck in his home country there and couldn't travel here. The UFC rescheduled Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje, an excellent opponent. Great fight, no doubt about that. Um, And then, of course, that event got scrapped. So I thought at first maybe we'd go back to Khabib and Tony for a later date. Instead, we're going to press forward with this Ferguson-Gaethje fight. Uh, The salaries on DraftKings, Ferguson 8,700, Gaethje 7,500. This is one of the areas where FanDuel is a lot closer. Uh, $17 FanDuel, $17 for Ferguson on FanDuel, $15 for Gaethje on FanDuel. So it's a lot tighter there. The batting odds I just checked, uh, Ferguson minus 185, comeback on Gaethje. G plus 160. I want to see if this has changed because this was the biggest odds to finish mark on the card. Uh, at, at the time we posted the article, it was minus 475. Dipped a little bit. I'm seeing minus 450 now, but I'm also seeing minus 525. William Hill has it at minus 455. So this is one of the bigger odds to finish on the card here. Uh, I guess I'll just toss this over to you, John. Uh, what, what's your what, what's your thoughts of this fight happening and, and what happens to Khabib? And then we can kind of get into the breakdown of this fight. <laughs> I mean, it's. I guess it makes. It's a fight that makes sense. The UFC, you know, is obviously with everything that's going on right now. Really, Dana White really pushed to get a card here, and in order to get that card, you need a really big fight. Um, I'm not a in general. I'm not a big fan of interim title fights. I, you know, I think they're generally made up to drive up pay per view buys or whatever. Um, this one actually makes some sense. It's just, it's disappointing that again. Um, we weren't able to get Habib and Ferguson. Um, I want to say they've tried to do this thing five times now, and it's fallen apart each time for mm-hmm. a variety of different reasons. Um, and they're by far the two best lightweights in my mind in the world. Um, there, there's, I think there's a decent chance there's a gap between Habib and Ferguson, and then, but I definitely think there's a gap between the two of them. And whoever you think is third, whether that's Justin Gaethje or, or whoever else, but this, yeah, whoever, yeah, whoever you think is third. But you know, I, I think there's a gap there. Um, mm-hmm. This is a good fight uh, between two guys who just, you know, full bore, you know, the whole time, uber aggressive. Uh, Ferguson, like I've said numerous times, is the rare guy who's gotten considerably be considerably better as he's aged. Um, he's won twelve fights in a row. 
And they've been 12 legitimate wins. You know, Donald Cerrone, Anthony Pettis, Kevin Lee, Rafael Dos Anjos, Edson Barbosa. There are big names in there. He didn't. It's not a puff winning streak where he just beat a bunch of bums. He he's fought well. Um, he's one. Tony Ferguson is one of the more unique offensive fighters in the company, really in the sport. Um, does a lot of crazy things. He's aggressive. Um, I would say he has no weaknesses. He can wrestle if he has to. Um, he's certainly competent on the mat. He's good off uh, his back, which is one thing that you know you rarely say about a fighter. Yes. You have to worry about him throwing a sub or throwing an elbow. Yep, he's he's a really he's terrific. Um, now he's fighting a guy in Justin Gaethje, who I will admit has had more run a more successful run in the UFC than I expected. Um, he's four and two, but as far as stylistically. He's still the same guy he's always been. He, um, he just is a one-dimensional brawler. He goes in and he tries to knock his opponent's head off before he gets his head knocked off. And he's been able to survive up until this point because, one, he's probably about the toughest guy on the planet. And, two, because he has legitimate power. Now, uh, it's a shame because he doesn't use any of his secondary skills. This is a guy who was a former Division One All-American wrestler, but he just simply refuses to wrestle. And Gaethje has openly admitted this. You know, he says he's there to put on a show, so that's what he does. And um, he's surviving because he has power and because he can take a punch as well as anybody on the roster. Um, Gaethje himself. You see, one, you see the Ferguson versus Homer Simpson memes out there because yeah, the dude can take a punch. He can get in. Yeah, he can. He he really can. And um, he's giving away a ton to Ferguson as far as all-around skill simply because Tony's willing to use his secondary weapons and Gaethje isn't. Um, Gaethje might be a better, there's probably a decent chance he's a better wrestler than Ferguson, but he won't use those skills. So it's not going to make a difference. Um, here's the thing that I'm, um, I'm picking Ferguson and the, the main reason why is everybody talks about Gaethje's durability and it's terrific. He's been, I want to say he's been knocked out. He's lost two fights in his career. I think he's been knocked down both of them. Um, Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez back to back. In both those fights, he certainly did his fair share of damage prior to losing. The Eddie Alvarez fight was at the end of the fourth, end of the third round. The Dustin Poirier fight was the beginning of the fourth round. So, you know, if you're fighting for the better part of 20 minutes against this guy, you know he's going to get his offense in. So he's been knocked out twice in his career. Ferguson somehow has never been knocked out. He's lost three career fights, been submitted once, dropped two decisions, which is amazing to me considering how aggressive Ferguson fights. He turned 36 years old in February. He's not getting any younger, but he's legitimately getting better. And I think the perfect example of Ferguson's durability was that Lando Venata fight. Um, that I'm pretty sure that was Venata's first fight with the company, and he came in as a late-notice replacement. Yeah, and that and was he, Ferguson after a, a long layoff of almost 18 months. He had fought Ferguson, defeated Barboza in December of 2015, and and then was gone. Or um, okay, not not 18 months, you know, more like six months. Sorry, but Lando Venata. It was it was, a, it was the following July of 2016 that that happened. So uh, yeah, it was a long layoff for Ferguson, and that's one that I wanted to bring up as well because Venata had him rocked, but he survived. Yeah, no one ever talks about this because how good he is offensively. Ferguson can take a punch. Like, he really can take a beating. And it doesn't get talked about in the same mention as Gaethje simply because Gaethje's entire fight is a brawl while Ferguson does some different things. So, um, look, it, the, if you think Gaethje is going to win or if you think he's a quality underdog play, the attraction is that the odds of Ferguson coming right in and blasting him and getting him out of there in you know a minute or two minutes or whatever is are extremely extremely small. Mm -hmm. He's you know you're, you're if you're going to get rid of Justin Gaethje, you're going to have to pound him over a long period of time. It's not going to be you know not going to be one strike that's going to get him out of there. So that's the attractiveness there. You're hoping if you're a Gaethje fan that he's simply going to be able to take everything Ferguson throws his way, survive it. And then somehow just land enough offense of his own to win. Um, I would term it unlikely. I would say 
the odds and the salaries here, uh, DraftKings wise, 8,700 to 7,500 Vegas odds, minus 185 plus 160 are both about right. Um, the odds to finish seem a little high to me simply because these are two guys who have been combined to be stopped, knocked out twice in their entire career. So, but that being said, I expect so much offense to be landed in this fight that I think over the course of 25 minutes, there's a pretty decent chance this thing doesn't see the final bell. I, you know, I'd be very, very surprised if this isn't now we've said this before. Uh, maybe not to this level, but you mentioned earlier the Israel Adesanya Romero fight a few months ago that everybody thought was going to be this action-packed barn burner and was one of the worst title fights in the history of the company. Mm-hmm. So anything can happen, but I'd be pretty surprised if this isn't the uh, epic clash, entertainment-wise, that most people are expecting. Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll say right off the bat that uh, I'm going to pick Ferguson in this fight. I think he's a more well-rounded <laughs> fighter. You know, he's been training nonstop. He even did a mock weight cut last month, you know, for when he was supposed to fight April 18th. He's a unique, a little bit unorthodox guy, but you know he's coming in just as prepared. Not to say Gaith G isn't, but I just think Ferguson's a more well-rounded fighter, and he has more ways he can win than Gaith G. And, uh, you know, to backtrack to that UL Romero-Adesanya fight, I wish I could dig up who said this on Twitter. Uh, sorry if you're listening, but uh, there was a good bit of analysis here regarding uh, Romero's wrestling, where even if we know a fighter has one elite skill, you can't suddenly count on them to use it if you've never seen it deployed in the octagon before and that's i mean yoel romero maybe he's arguably used his wrestling more than gaith g gaith is the all-american wrestler he has that skill but if you're trying to use him on a in, a in a dfs lineup or you're trying to make a bet on gaith g your reasoning can't be because he should have a wrestling advantage that's that, that can't be the reason here because we don't know for sure he's going to use it he's most likely won't and then we go back to those comments i made about ferguson earlier about him being quite dangerous off his back so for that reason, uh, you know, that's just another uh, notch on the belt for Ferguson there. I'm picking him as well here. I do want to play a little devil's advocate because I know our picks align a lot in this fight. If you were going to pick Gaith G, here's why you would do it. You could say that although Ferguson's been improving, his, he's 36 years old. You could make an argument that maybe his best days are behind him and you get ahead of the turning point, what have you, whereas Gaith G is 31, which should theoretically be in his athletic time, in his athletic prime, excuse me. So um, th- that's one reason you could get behind Gaith G. The other is you could maybe, if you wanted to, poke some holes in the Tony Ferguson record. I mean, both of them fought Donald Cerrone, who obviously didn't look great against Conor McGregor. Both of them actually fought Cowboy in their last fight. I mean, Cowboy's fought some of the cream of the crop lately. He's had a tough break. But if you go back on Ferguson's record, you know, Anthony Pettis, okay, another guy whose best days are probably in the past. Kevin Lee had that good uh, head kick knockout against Gillespie, but then he was, uh, you know, and then he's had a rough patch too. Uh, Rafael Dos Santos uh, has moved away from the division at this point. And Lando Venata, who actually had Ferguson rocks. So, um, you could make a class. You can make a case that uh, Gaethje is the best opponent that uh, Tony Ferguson has faced since. I don't know. I'm going down this list. Maybe ever you can make it. You could definitely make a case that this is the toughest fight of Ferguson's career. And of course, there's that five years age difference where one is in their athletic prime. So if you're going to make a case, a case for Gaethje, I would do it that way and not try to convince yourself that he'll use his wrestling because we don't know that's going to happen. The last thing I want to discuss on this, John, before, uh, or actually I have two points. Uh, one is that if you're a Gaethje believer, um, you get a much better value for him on uh, DraftKings than FanDuel. The salaries, like I said, are really tight on, on FanDuel, but not so much on DraftKings. So you get more uh, lineup flexibility using Gaethje there. The other point I wanted to make, I wanted to ask about, is I think ownership percentage is going to be high for both of these fighters. Um, you said that uh, you don't think that you think those odds to finish numbers are a little bit lofty. You know, if this fight gets into round four or five, a stack will definitely be in play. Can you see a stack in play at all? Yeah, it's probably one of the rare. I mean, I we don't advocate that very often, and I still wouldn't advocate it if you're you know the kind of person who only puts in a couple lineups. But if you're putting in you know fifty hundred lineups, whatever you're doing, you could do it here. It's just it's so risky. It's just if you do, and God forbid for you one guy finishes the other quickly, it's just you're not winning a cent. Yeah, you can kick. Yeah, you can kiss your two hundred. It's goodbye. just it's so it's just. <sighs> 
it's like the ultimate roll of the dice and yeah. it's a strategy that sounds good on paper sometimes but really doesn't pay off all that often yeah. which is why we generally don't advocate doing it yeah. um you I was say, you would have thought the Romero Adesanya fight would have been, a, you know, maybe not a stack, but no, at least a fight yeah, where if both you, if guys you stack that. Yeah, you won you would have, yeah, you're done. <laughs> so it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So in general, if you're kind of new to this podcast, new to DFS, um, you know, you, you try to stack fighters that are durable and high volume. And that is both of these guys uh, for sure. So you're going to see stacking this be popular. But like you said, John, it rarely works out. I mean, very few instances off the top of my head really jump to mind. I mean, of course, got a little recency bias that Wiley Zhang Yoana fight would have been a pretty good stack because it saw the final bell both through an incredibly high volume. Um, you know, if you're a more casual fan listening, uh, Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz too was actually a very productive, would have been a very productive stack. Both of those guys scored a ton of points in that fight. I think, uh, I had, D- I had picked Diaz in that fight to uh, win, win, and he still ended up getting like 80 DraftKings points or something. And like on that. the, uh, on the other hand though, you would have thought that the Conor McGregor, Jose Alba fight would have been, you know, a back and forth affair and it was over in whatever it was 13 seconds. So it's really hard. Yeah, exactly. You could have, I mean, you could have done the same with Connor Cerrone. Like, oh yeah, Cerrone's generally pretty durable. He had that one knockout, but he'll be yeah, fine. And then poof, it's over. You know, yeah, it's he, hard. He lands one significant strike. And when you get half a point or 0.6 points from one of your six fighters, you're absolutely toast. So it's a risky game. I could see it more as a cash game strategy than a GPP strategy, just because there's something to these odds to finish being way bigger than the heavyweights. So um, somebody might get beaten. It could, but I don't think it'll be in the first round, maybe around two, three or four, somewhere in the middle of the fight. Do you like over or under on two and a half rounds, John? Probably over. Yeah, I think I'm leaning that way too, which would direct you to a stack. But again, they're very... Very specific instances here, um, but we've we've dug into this one quite a bit. Let's keep moving on. We got another title fight on the line. I thought it was obviously the name recognition plays a big deal here, but I thought it was a little curious. The actual title is the co-main event, and the uh, interim title is the main event. But nonetheless, uh, co-main event is a bantamweight championship. Henry Cejudo was supposed to fight Jose Aldo when this card was originally scheduled to take place in Brazil. Of course, Aldo moving down to bantamweight instead. We get a name that. Um, New fans probably don't recognize a ton, but he's definitely regarded as one of the best, if not the best, bantamweights of all time. That's Dominic Cruz. He could certainly cement that legacy uh, if he comes back and pulls the upset over Cejudo here on Saturday. Cejudo's 8,800 on DraftKings, Cruz 7,400. Cejudo 19 on FanDuel, Cruz is 12 on FanDuel. The odds look like Cejudo minus 230 and the comeback on Cruz plus 190. Odds to finish plus 160. So Vegas thinks this one is going to see all five rounds here. Uh, the biggest factor in this one, I think, uh, that that everybody will tell you, is it's been just about four years since Dominic Cruz last had a fight. He's been one of the most injury-plagued fighters. Um, not, I mean, one of the most skilled, no, no doubt, but also one of the most in- injury-plagued fighters. That's 1,266 days since Cruz last made the walk when fight night comes john how much is a factor how much of a factor is that going to be and uh, what are your what's your general breakdown of this fight i think it's a factor um i always think it's a factor dominic cruz is legendary for saying that octagon rust is mental it's it doesn't it doesn't exist it's all in your mind um i would strongly disagree with that um it's like any other sport you know you could be rehabbing and practicing with your team but until you're actually playing the games it's not the same thing um you're right he's it's going to be well over three and a half years um when by the time dominic Cruz stepped into the octagon on sunday um saturday excuse me his most recent fight um december 2016 he entered as the ufc bantamweight champion and was thoroughly dominated i would go as far to say by Cody Garbrandt in a unanimous decision loss. And that's um, deceptive because if you look at the stats, Cruz technically landed more, but the Garbrandt shots were much more devastating. Yeah, Cruz got pounded in that fight. Um, and I was surprised. I thought Cruz would win that fight easily because Garbrandt is another guy who's known as a power puncher who doesn't play, pay a ton of attention to his defense. And in his heyday, Dominic Cruz was known for having arguably the best footwork in the history of the sport um constantly moving never standing still and i thought he'd be able to go about his business and pick our brand apart just by moving and that didn't happen um 
you know, Cruz, he's not super old. He's 34 years old. He'll be 35 in early September. So, um, you know, he's not ancient, but this is a pretty big ask for a guy who has been away for more than three and a half years. Um, Cejudo has quickly established himself as one of the best pound found fighters in the world. A lot like Tony Ferguson has gotten legitimately better as he's gotten older. You don't really see that too much, at least not to this level. Mm-hmm. You see guys improve. Yeah. But well, Cejudo th- always had the wrestling, but you know, maybe in his case, he just needed years and years to fine tune the striking aspect. That's now now right. suddenly we see some power here, and that and he's rounding himself. You know, c- kind of becoming a well-rounded fighter. Yeah, that was always the thing with Cejudo. So obviously, he won a gold medal in the Olympics. So in rest freestyle wrestling, so you know he's a great wrestler. And unlike some of the guys we've talked about, he actually uses it. Oh yeah. So, you know, I've always said if he could just get his striking game to acceptable, you know, it didn't even have to be plus or, or elite or anything. Mm-hmm. It just had to be acceptable to the point where he could threaten his competition enough with his hands that he could just base his entire attack around his wrestling game. Mm-hmm. And I would go as far as to say now that his striking game is a strength. You know, he's not the best striker in the company. Mm-hmm. He's not the best striker in the division. But he's solid in that area. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's coming off back-to-back TKOs. One in the first round against a juice to the gills TJ Dillashaw, and two against Marlon Moraes, You know, one of the one of the better bantamweight fighters in the world. You know, in the third round, so the power is there now. Yeah, it is. And you know, the concern for a while when Cejudo was a flyweight, Cejudo was a big flyweight, and we know he had the issues cutting weight early in his career and stuff. Um, I thought he would really struggle with the physicality of bantamweight. Um, he's still under, I would term him probably undersized to division, but when he won the UFC bantamweight title in July over Marlon Marais, I picked Marais in that fight and I picked him Marais simply because he's a bigger, more physical fighter. And I thought that would be enough to get past. That would be enough of a reason for him to get past Cejudo. And I was dead wrong. He's just, he's gotten, to the point where he's just he's a really good all-around fighter Cejudo and he's a really good all-around fighter in multiple divisions and I think it's funny I mean this doesn't have anything to do with anything but how um Cejudo's kind of changed his entire shtick along the way you know he was like a quiet guy who you didn't hear much from and now he's you know asking Nikki Bell on dates and he's going on of cringe that's yeah you know he's he, you know, he's posting wild photos of himself on it. all this crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? Good for him. We've talked about a bunch of guys in, in here in this spot where you'd say, oh, wow, you know, the guy's a really good fighter. But, you know, Demetrius Johnson is probably the best example. The guy's a really good fighter. But you know what? His personality is kind of boring. So people aren't dying to see him fight. Well, you know what? Cejudo's gone, undergone, you know, and like everybody else and everything else and Conor McGregor and all that. Yeah. It's an act. Yeah, the whole I mean, sell, the whole yeah. intergender champ wanting to fight it, it, Valentina Shevchenko. It's, all non- it's you know, nonsense to get to get his name in the news. C, but, yeah, every yeah. time the camera pans to him in a crowd, he does the most ridiculous grunting yeah. facial. Yeah, he's yeah, it's cringe. all an act. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I guess he's doing his job because here we are talking about it. Yeah, exactly, and he's going to have a lot of eyes on him in this co-main event spot. Uh, I'll, I'll make a couple points here. You know, I, I'm picking Cejudo as well. I just I, it's the layoff for Cruz and the age. But the other thing with Cruz is, like you said, he was handled pretty tough by Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt hasn't uh, exactly had the latest. Didn't exactly look all that great in his fights he's after re- that. He's regressed since then, definitely. Yeah. So after beating Dominic Cruz in 2016. Garbrandt was knocked out by TJ Dillashaw twice within two rounds. Granted, like I said, roided up PEDs. You can talk about how much of an effect that had. Um, it certainly could have. And then after that, uh, Cody Garbrandt got knocked out by Pedro Munoz in the first round. So, um, you know, he didn't pop for anything. So, you know, I'm not quite sure uh, if Cody Garbrandt was who we thought he was after he beat um, Dominic Cruz here. Now, again, I'm picking Cejudo. I think uh, if you can fit him in your lineup, it's not a bad move because, uh, especially on FanDuel, you know you'll get you get you know, all those takedowns. Maybe he'll throw some subs. Who knows? Actually, Cruz has an eighty-three percent takedown defense, so that's the thing. So uh, I don't. Suhudo might just have to get this done with his striking, which is a dangerous uh, you know preposition against Cruz. If this fight happened five years ago, 
I'd pick Cruz and I wouldn't think twice about it. Like it, it wouldn't wouldn't matter. But you know, with the layoff and the momentum that Cejudo's been able to build, I think you have to go Cejudo in this one. Um, you know, if you're going to make a case for Cruz. Or you're gonna you'll say that he has a four inch advantage in both height and reach, and of course that eighty three percent takedown defense um, should have should be able to create distance and keep him and keep Cejudo off him if he wants to. I just don't know what kind of dominant Cruz we're gonna see. So you know, staking a lineup, yeah, yeah, you might get some exposure to Cruz if you're uh, you know if you're if your uh, money bags are going to max enter the uh, the uh, <laughs> the million with 150 entries, yeah, you got to get some exposure to Cruz in that scenario. But uh, I'm not necessarily sure I like it. I also don't really like a stack in this one because these guys are are good volume, uh, but not necessarily exceptional volume. And plus, we have no idea how Cruz is going to uh, adjust his strategy here. Uh, I'm looking at the volume. Both of these guys are under four significant strikes landed per minute. Cejudo with the edge 3.82 to 3.53. And if you look at the main event here, um, you know, just because we're uh, talking about comparing uh, the, the stack possibility, Tony Ferguson, 5.81 significant strikes landed per minute. Justin Gaethje, 8.57. Now, Justin Gaethje also absorbs 9.67. So that That's tells insane. you that <laughs> per minute. He gets popped That's 10 insane. times significantly per minute. Um, but again, he breaks all stat algorithms. So again, if you're comparing the stack worthiness, uh, not as good as the main event, in my opinion, just because of the, just because of the uh, volume, even if it does go the full five rounds. I mean, a three-round fight between Ferguson and Gaethje gets as many significant strikes as a five-round fight between these two. So uh, I'd be in on Cejudo. I'm not positive uh, about a finish, but I think that um, I think that he's going to be able to get this done, and I, I'm not going to overthink this, so, I, so I'm going Cejudo. Yeah, I mean, I think the allure, if you are if you like Cruz as an underdog, I think the allure is, at his peak, he was known for having some of the best cardio in the sport, and he had the foot speed to essentially give every fighter he fought problems in one way or another, mm-hmm. um, whether it was offensively or even more often or more frequently defensively. He just moved his feet so well that he simply wasn't there when his opponent hit him, but it's a really tough sell given how long he's been away. Um, look, mate, you know, I don't doubt that he's Dominic Cruz has always been one of the hardest workers in the sport. So I don't doubt that he's going to show up ready to fight. You know, I don't think that's, that's the issue at all, yeah. but it's, it's a long time away and mm-hmm. you know, we'll see what happens. It I'm should curi- be a good yeah. fight. I'm curious with the foot injury and the arm injury, like with the four years off, how much has he actually been sparring in his camp? That's what worries me a little bit. You know, not that you necessarily need to be sparring five times a week to stay at an elite level, but you also can't take a few, you know, take multiple years off from you know full go sparring. You have to at least match that intention intensity at a couple points, and I'm sure he's gotten to that point during his camp here. Uh, we'll definitely see about that here. But let's move on. This fight, John. I'm probably most excited about this on the entire card. Uh, Francis Ngannou did let me down once, but more often than not, he delivers, and I think he's going to deliver again here. Francis Ngannou will be taking on Jair Rosenstruik. Uh, Ngannou's 9,100 on DraftKings. Rosenstruik, 7,100. The discrepancy is very similar on FanDuel, $22. He's more than twice as much as uh, Rosenstruik, who is $10 on FanDuel. Uh, The odds? Minus 270 for Ngannou, comeback plus 230 for Rosenstruik. Odds to finish, minus 300. Um, I'm picking Ngannou. I'll come right out and say it. It's pretty simple. I I can get into it a little bit in a second here, but I want to hear your breakdown, John, and I I want you to look at the whole card and tell me, is Ngannou the biggest lock? I I was going to say, that odds to finish seems really, really low to me. Mm -hmm. If it weren't for the Derek Lewis fight... I'm pretty sure that those odds to finish would be like minus 800. Someone's going that, to sleep. That's in. that's crazy low. I mean, mm-hmm. can, I'm, the, well, the Ferguson Gaethje fight is minus 475, and you're telling me this is this is minus 300. That's not that doesn't seem right. It, okay, so it moved a little bit. I'm looking at minus 325 to minus 360 now. But when I posted your article a few days ago, um, it was at minus 300. Now, granted, I would I would I would have guessed minus. 500 minus five, you know, somewhere in some astronomical number. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is, uh, it is what it is. You know, I don't think there's a ton to really break down technically here. These are two of the most massive human beings on the UFC roster who just go in and we'll throw the Derek Lewis fight aside because that was, you know, is what it is. Mm-hmm. But um, guys who just go in and 
swing for the bleachers with every single punch that they throw. And if you're telling me that's what's going to happen, I don't care who he's facing. There's not a guy in the division or the roster I'm picking over Nganu. Mm-hmm. If you're if it's just two guys going in and blasting each other, he I don't care what he did in his last fight. I don't tell me care what he did two fights ago. He is the pick every single time until further notice. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I don't get about this is, which isn't being talked about, is Rosenstruck was four seconds away yes. from losing to a washed up Alistair Overeem, and not like you know, uh, all right, he didn't look great. He's going to drop a decision, whatever. He was getting worked. Like he didn't he was getting dominated. And Overeem is essentially done, in my opinion. You'll he's fighting Walt Harris I well a week from this coming Saturday. So uh you'll be able to read that, you know, in the preview. I'll talk more about Overeem there, but I mean um, Overeem got decapitated by Nganu. Oh yeah. And but Iconic the, uppercut. <laughs> yes. Like I thought he was like dead uh, when it happened but i don't get the i mean rosenstruck yeah he's undefeated great but his cart his cardio wasn't great not that ninganu is known for his cardio either and but his all-around game at least to this point what we've seen is non-existent um it took a miracle finish for him to get to get over him out of there and now he's going up against the guy yeah. who has consecutive knockout wins over curtis blades Cain velasquez and junior dos santos uh Nganu is the scariest fighter on the roster, and it's not not close. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, really like this is this was like one of those fights where this was original. You know, this was announced months ago before all this happened. Mm-hmm. It was supposed where, to headline Columbus on March 28th. Kept getting pushed back because of the pandemic, and here we are. Yeah, I mean, I looked at this. And this is one of those rare fights where I like I'm, it was supposed to be a main event fight. This is one of those rare main event fights where I looked at it originally and had my pick who I was going to pick in two tenths of a you know, like it was immediate. Like, yeah. I don't know why they're doing this. It's not close. And look, when you get two guys who are this big and they're going up and just throwing bombs at each other, could Rosenstruck win? Sure, because they're so big and they're so massive that one punch more so than any other division can change everything. But not only does Ninganu crush guys, Ninganu crushes guys when he barely touches them. He grazes them on the ear. He hits them on the side of the head where they're ducking fo- when they're ducking forward, mm-hmm. and guys still go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just you know this is straightforward for me. Um, you know the pandemic and everything that's going on might change the timetable, but uh, and depending on what they want to do with Stipe Miocic and you know. Uh, Daniel Cormier and all that stuff, but I think there's a pretty good chance that Ninganu fights for the UFC heavyweight title again at some point in the next 12 months. Yeah, crazy. I just had a couple notes on this. Obviously, I said Ninganu from the beginning. He's the person I lock into that captain spot on FanDuel immediately. The only downside there is everyone's going to have that same train of thought. And if you're trying to if you're trying to bank a GPP here, then you probably uh, have to maybe go a different direction and hope something strange happens here. Um, we don't talk a ton of bets on this show, but one I did want to, uh, there are actually two that jump out to me. Uh, so Nganu is minus 265 to win. Nganu wins by KOTKO is uh, minus 115 where I'm looking at. Uh, let me see. William H. has it at minus 120. We can technically only talk about the legal ones here. Um, so I would bet Nganu by KOTKO over Nganu straight up, that's for sure, because the you get a much better deal there. The other one that start, that jumped out to me is, this is just a prop, but fight won't start round two is plus money at plus 120. So uh, if you think there's an early stoppage in this one, I jump on that line, and I don't see Nganu winning a decision or this even going to a decision. I don't see Nganu throwing a sub necessarily unless Rosenstruck makes it, just leaves his neck out there for a guillotine, which I don't really see. I see Nganu finishing this one by KO, TKO early. So I'd rather Did you say them. Nganu by TKO is minus 115? These are the ones I'm looking at, and it's not just one sports book either. I'm looking – there are two that have it at minus 115. William H. is the only one we can actually discuss because it's legal. Minus 120 and um, minus 145 in another spot. So, yeah. Honestly, that seems like a misprint. It can't be a four sports book have it that well, way. Well, I know. It's just – it's mm-hmm. so – like I, I, I'll openly admit now I'm not a big straight-up – you know, odds gambling, Vegas odds type guy. Mm-hmm. But that that seems – like shockingly low 
but it can't be an error. They all have it listed yeah. in the same area. Yeah. So check your apps if you're in a state where it's Jeez, legal. I'm, that's, I'm technically, that's uh, I, I'm in Wisconsin, so we're not going to have it legal for a little bit. So, you know, um, but yeah, if you can find a provider that's, uh, that's taking those odds, uh, I like it very much, but, uh, yeah, so those are the notes on this thing. There's not too much to go into uh, beyond that. We both love Nganu. I'd be shocked if Rosenstruck pulled the upset. If you had a hundred DraftKings lineups, John, do you use Rosenstruck in more or less than three and a half of them? <laughs> All right, maybe I'll say more and use them in five. There you go. All right, so that's about that's about as much faith as we have in here. Even though Ingano is not the biggest betting favorite on the card here, he's uh, he looks great for uh, fantasy purposes. Yeah, it's here a stylistic thing. Mm-hmm. It's just. You know, Rosenstruck is a brawler, and that's you're not picking Ningano. You're not picking anybody who's a pure brawler against Ningano. If you're going to beat him, mm-hmm. you're going to have to do what Stipe did and make him work. And that's mm-hmm. at least from we've seen. That's not Rosenstruck's game. Exactly here. Well, we got two more fights on the pay per view. We want to break down, maybe do a little uh, mix and matching at the end. Um, but I want to touch on Jeremy Stevens, Calvin Qatar. This is another fight that uh, you know is supposed to happen at, at the last card. Had to get moved up and uh, ends up being part. Uh, you know, it's a good fight on a pretty solid card here. Uh, Stevens is seventy three hundred on DraftKings, fourteen dollars on FanDuel. Qatar is eighty nine hundred on DraftKings, eighteen dollars on FanDuel. Odds match up with that. I mean, they're a little closer on FanDuel than DraftKings, but uh, the odds here, Qatar minus 250, Stevens plus 210. Odds to finish plus 125. This is a tough one for me to break down, John. They don't have any composi- or common opposition here. Do you have any leans on it? You know, it's tough. I ended up taking Qatar. Um, S- Stevens worries me a little. He's winless in his last four fights. He hasn't won a fight in over two years. There's a no contest in there. Um, if you're a Stevens believer, the, uh, he's got two things going for him. The first thing is his power is legitimate. Always has been. Stevens has always been known as one of the harder hitters in the 145-pound division. Um, and I don't think that's changed. I think he still has that power. And the second thing you could say about Stevens is – he hasn't won in four fights, but those losses are Yair Rodriguez twice, Jose Aldo, and Zabit. So, you know, you're talking pretty much, you know, the highest of the high end. Mm-hmm. Um, Stevens has always been one to take whatever fights they throw at him. Uh, it's used lately, at least last few years, it's been high end competition. Never says no, always gets in there. It doesn't matter who it is. Um, the issue is that's great, but sooner or later you have to win a fight. You know, you can't keep not winning. Um, I'm a little worried about Stevens in the sense that I'm worried about Gaith G, and that is they just, and it's been this way for Stevens forever. He just, he doesn't pay attention to defense. And it just, he it works when you're facing lesser fighters because your athletic skills or your power or whatever can carry you past those fringe opponents. But once you start facing better competition, you're not going to be able to roll over guys like that without paying attention to defense. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work in any division. Um, and I just I think Qatar's a better play. I'm not crazy about him at all at his price on DraftKings. Eighty nine hundred seems kinda high. Um he's two and two in his last four fights, Qatar, so he's not, you know, been lighting the world on fire of late. But again, his two losses came against Zabit and Renato Moicano, who's a good fighter too. So um I would argue Qatar's run with the company has been pretty good. He's four and two since he got here. Um, he was really viewed as roster depth when he arrived. So when you look at it that way, he was viewed as roster depth a little less than three years ago. And now he's here and he's getting meaningful you know, fights. So that's good. But Qatar's power is also underrated. Um, he has a two-inch height edge. He has a one-inch reach edge. And while I think Stevens has more knockout power, Stevens is stubborn. He just he doesn't adapt to what his opposition throws at him. He's going in and he's fighting the way he always fights. You know, result be damned. And it hasn't worked. I'm a little intrigued to use Stevens here as a DraftKings play because he's so cheap. Seventy three hundred is not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You can get a whole bunch of favorites in your lineup and still get Stevens in there. Um, it's just it's it's hard to pick him. You know, I I think Qatar is just a better fighter at this point. But um, if you want to make an argument that Stevens is a better DraftKings player, listen, 8900 I'm not really into Qatar at 8900 That's a heavy price for me. 
Yeah, especially when the odds to finish are plus 125. I mean, Qatar finished uh, Chris Fishgold and uh, a late career Ricardo Lamas here in the first round before losing that fight to Zabit. Um, that Zabit fight got moved to the main event of that card, but because it was late, it was only three rounds. Uh, Qatar was winning that fight against Zabit in the third round, and Zabit's one of the most highly regarded featherweight prospects on the planet here. I have a lot of respect for Zabit. I think he'll be champion one day. You and I own him in our Dynasty League that we do. Excited That's about a good pick. That. Yes, very excited to have that. Um, so um, so I, with the respect I have for Zabit and seeing that fight, had it gone five rounds, Qatar could have very well beat him. And then compare that to what I've seen out of Stevens lately. I think the pick here is Qatar. But I'm trying to make some DraftKings builds, and I don't really see um, spots where I'm using either of them because I think Qatar is a little too pricey, and I just don't think Stevens is going to win. So this is a fight that I'm mostly staying away from and uh, looking elsewhere here. One more heavyweight fight to discuss on the uh, pay-per-view card here. Uh, Greg Hardy, Jorgen DeCastro. Hardy is 8600 uh, DeCastro seventy six hundred on DraftKings. Hardy seventeen dollars on FanDuel. DeCastro twelve dollars on FanDuel. Hardy's minus two ten comeback on DeCastro plus one seventy five. Odds to finish again minus two twenty five. Uh, so, which is less than the Engano Rosenstruck, of course, less than the main event here. Um, I don't know how much technical breakdown we can do of these guys because we just haven't seen a ton of film, and the film that we have seen. Um, you know, is is it necessarily the greatest? But obviously, Hardy's a big name, so Dana's going to put him on the pay per view. I I understand exactly the reasoning behind that because they're going to keep they're going to do Pettis and Cerrone, who everybody knows as the finale of the ESPN prelims, to hopefully get everybody tuned in, get everybody hyped up, and get ready to buy buy that pay per view. That I understand here. Um, but as far as this fight here between Hardy and DeCastro, uh, there's I think there's a lot of potential outcomes here. But but which one do you see as most likely? I don't know. I picked DeCastro to win. Um, I, like you said, the range of outcomes here is probably is really massive. Um, we all know Hardy's deal. He's got a lot of power. He's obviously a great athlete. You know, he's a terrific NFL player. But we all know the backstory, and uh, you know, it's really hard. And DeCastro's been with the company for all of one official fight. And, you know, he earned his contract on Data White's Contender Series. Uh, made his debut in October and knocked out Justin Toffin just over two minutes but you know i think anybody who says they have a real idea of what's going to happen in this one is is blowing smoke i there's enough fighters on this card that we know enough about and a lot about that i'd probably just stay away from this if i could it's just it's 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 one of those whatever fights it has no impact on the division at all you know even if hardy wins as a favorite sure he's you know he's known because he played in the nfl but He's not popular for obvious with most people for obvious reasons, and it's it is what it is. You know, he's all he, he's both popular because everyone tunes in and wants to see him get knocked out. Right, he himself he's not popular in a positive way. So, you know, no one, no matter who wins, you know, no none of these guys, both these guys are you know countless wins away from impacting the title picture. So it, it is what it is here. I understand the decision to put Cerrone and Pettis on ESPN. Especially with everything that's going on and there being nothing on television, those ESPN prelims are going to – I could see them being like the most watched ESPN prelims of all time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh by a mile. There's, I mean there's no competition. Normally you're going up against baseball in the NBA playoffs. Anything, and, yeah. Yeah, anything. Hockey uh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's – yeah. No, it's – yeah. So I uh, – you know what? In that sense, I get it. And we always talk about how the first fight of – Dana and the UFC like to do this. They like to make the first fight of pay-per-view cards – two big guys who rack up knockouts. I don't know if it, I, I, the only thing I can think of is to get, try and get the crowd into it. You know, maybe some guy scores some crazy high, right? real knockout or some brawl or whatever. And you get the crowd hot for the rest of the pay-per-view. Obviously that doesn't help here. There is no crowd, but, um, in general, I understand the principle. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, looking through this fight, uh, I had a real tough time picking this. Uh, I'm leaning to Castro, um, mostly because, I don't know, these odds and salaries, they're more of a coin toss than what this disparity seems them to be. So it's not necessarily that I've got, uh, you know, again, I'm picking DeCastro straight up for our staff picks, but it's not necessarily that I've got overwhelming confidence in either guy. I just think that you're finding value here by going with the cheaper guy and um, 
I mean, the odds oh. to finish are at minus 225. It's a, uh, it's a fight that's likely going to get stopped, and uh, I'll get my salary relief here and, and hope for the best. But at the same time, if you're entering 100 lineups, you're probably putting each of these guys in, in 30, maybe 25 at least, because uh, it seems like a fight you want to get a piece of. Yeah, I mean, I, I picked a Castro, I mean, one, because the payoff's better. And, I mean, I also guess there's a non-zero chance I just didn't want to pick Hardy because – Mm-hmm. You know, nobody like you know for yeah. obvious reasons. I try that, to that, really fight through that bias and try to sub- find a reason subconsciously. That's probably that's probably part of it too. I mean, yeah, you know, we're not going to get into the whole story. You know, and if you're listening to this, you know Greg Hardy's backstory. But you know, yeah. it, so it uh, is what right. it, it is. What I want to try to do a little bit technical thing. So Hardy, when he first started in the UFC and when he was doing his amateur fights, it was pretty much opening bell ding. He's balls of the wall, explodes, gives it everything he has right out of the gates, and he did see some success with that. I mean, he won his first three, won his first two contender series bouts. Uh, you know, undefeated in three amateur fights, one of them under LFA. Um, you know, beat Juan Adams, who fought fought him pretty stupidly, and is now out of the UFC. You know, beat Smolyakov in the first round, um, and then you look at the fights where he faced some adversity here. I mean, Volkov was a much better fighter than Hardy. Um, there was you know little doubt about that one here. Socially is the one that uh, was in no contest over her turn because he uses inhaler between rounds again kind of showing the beginner in him and then alan crowder um the disqualification the illegal knee there um you would think you'd think hardy has learned from those things but there's some risk from paying a high salary for him in case something related to his inexperience comes back to bite it comes back to bite you and you know that it's happened twice already so you can't completely rule it out even though i assume that he's learning the other thing is I mentioned that balls of the wall strategy. Um, it's not happening so much as lately. It's almost he's he's being more patient and um, you know looking for counters, and that's hurt his striking volume a little bit. I mean, he's still four point seven seven significant strikes landed per minute, which is pretty solid. But you know, it, it's it's not what it was in his early days, and I think DeCastro is. Not as good as Volkov. If DeCastro and Volkov fought, I would oh, no. pick Vol- Volkov. I'd, I'd pick Volkov. Volkov's one of the best yep. heavyweights in the roster. But DeCastro's better than anybody else on this Greg Hardy resume I'm seeing right here. So that so that's why I'm uh so that's why I'm going uh with that. And of course DeCastro, we've seen nothing but a couple knockouts. Now there is a slight chance that we get a little bit of the uh Ngannou Lewis in this one. If these guys both swing early and I mean look at DeCastro, he's not the most uh you know not exactly what you picture in terms of a UFC fighter's pristine physical fitness here. Um, You know, Greg Hardy has him in that department for sure. Um, But both of these guys, you know, they don't, DeCastro's hardly ever seen deep waters and Hardy, when he does see deep waters, he's looked bad. So if this doesn't get done early, there's a chance we get to see two guys swinging non-powerful shots at each other in the third round, which is a bad recipe to start a pay-per-view. But um I don't know. I think UFC matchmakers are maybe maybe want to get Hardy some more wins so they can pump him up a little mu- a little bit after this recent stretch. So that's the only reason the narrative based reason is the only one I can really find to give an edge towards Hardy. Otherwise, this one's an, a toss up, and in that case, yeah, I I'm mean, throwing to Castro. Yeah, I mean Hardy will be 32 in July. Um, to Castro turned 33 this past December, and they've combined combined for 13 professional fights. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know Hardy. Why Hardy doesn't have any fights? He was playing in the NFL. Um, so that is what it is. But the point is, both of these guys, Hardy in particular, are way, way, way behind where they need to be in terms of reps, which makes the potential outcome even wider. You know, anything can happen here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, this one's going to get interesting. Uh, I, I see why it's starting it off, and uh, we'll see what happens. But as far as uh, fantasy plays go, I, I, give me the underdog in here, and let's see what happens here. Um, do you want to jump straight to upsets? Is there any other fights in particular that you wanted to highlight, or do those two things overlap for you at all? I mean, there's a couple. I mean, the one that I really that stood out to me, which I wrote up in long form, and you can read on the uh, preview article, was the Carlos Fars and Michelle Waterson fight. And I wrote that one up. I'll just recap it real quick i ended up picking asparza and um to keep it short essentially it's just waterson has had a hard time with the physicality of the strawweight division um she's a natural atom weight which is 105 pounds which the ufc obviously does not have a 105 pound division so she's really had a hard time with the physicality of some of her bigger opponents and asparza's skill set is really really limited but 
she racks up takedowns. She racks up more than 3.5 takedowns per 15 minutes. Um, her takedown accuracy is lousy, 36%. That's terrible. Um, her takedown defense is equally bad, 48%. That's atrocious too. Um, and she's putting herself at risk if she goes to the ground with Waterson because Waterson is talented on the mat. But I think there's a chance Asparza scores a couple takedowns, maybe one in each round or whatever, mm. and just grinds her way to a win. Where it's just one of those fights where you say, okay, great, can I have my 15 minutes back? But that in the end, that's enough to score her a win. So I'm not crazy about the future of either woman moving forward, which is a real shame because when Watterson entered the company, she was viewed as really one of the more popular female fighters in the sport. And it just hasn't she's happened. Awesome. I mean, I'm like a fan of her personally. I yeah. don't necessarily think she's going to win this fight. I, th- I do think the size and strength, or she's technically got more size when you look at them, but uh, Sparza's got the strength advantage. Yeah. Sparza's a wrestler and yeah, it's, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's a shame because if, uh, Waterson could go back to Invicta tomorrow and, and fight at 105 pounds. You know, I think she'd be pretty good. I think she'd it's be just, champ pretty quickly. Yeah, it just hasn't translated. Mm-hmm. So that was just one I wanted to cover quick. But yeah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. running through, um, I agree with you in in, in the Cerrone pick. Uh, you know, I like to look at different analytics of fights, and uh, the site Fight Matrix tries to compile something, and they have an ELO metric, and um, they're they don't have really any upsets on the entire card the only one is Cerrone so that caught my attention at first and when I started looking into this uh yes Cerrone got beat by Pettis and like prime Wheaties box Pettis days that was a long time ago almost long enough we can disregard that different guy exactly uh yeah this isn't Showtime Pettis that's running up the octagon anymore um you know as much as I like the guy home state of Wisconsin here but um I think there's value on Cerrone in DFS because Everybody, even the most casual of fans, remember him against Conor McGregor, and um, he just he didn't show up, and he admits that he didn't show up, and he got knocked out pretty quick, and he only scored a half a DraftKings point because he, or maybe he got shut out. I he might have got shut out for all I know, but he he didn't look good from fantasy, from betting, from from for any perspective in that fight. So I think there's again, I, our job is to treat these guys like stocks. Uh, sometimes you know we have to take a little bit of the human element out of it, and I think it's a good buy low opportunity on Cerrone you know I think he's got his second kid Riot Cerrone on the way and I'm I'm pretty sure he's going to fight and he's going to fight frequently for a few years longer and um, I don't think we see what we saw in the Conor McGregor fight by any means here I don't think Pettis is capable of delivering that uh, such an electrifying performance at this stage in his career Um, I think it's a buy low opportunity on Cerrone um, for both bets and um, fantasy and then you know looking at other fights I kind of like Uriah Hall against Jacare Souza. Um, it seems like, you know, Souza's getting up there in age. He's more of a submission guy. I mean, Souza's 40 years old to start with. He's lost three of his last four um, by decision here. Um, so it's not necessarily that he's been chinny, but, uh, you know, Uriah Hall has put together back-to-back wins. Bevan Lewis, Antonio Carlos Jr., Shoeface, who I think is a very good fighter. Yeah, that was a split decision. But, uh, you know, Uriah Hall... At one point, was one of the most hyped, had all the tools. Um, I think he still has got some of that in him, and um, I don't know. I just I, I like him. I like his chances of getting the finish against Susan. You know, three of his last four, he's gone three and one in his last four fights. Two of those by were by knockout. So you know, he's still got some power there at, at this age. And I just, I mean, to me, Susan's best days are going to be behind him. And um, and Hall's never been submitted, and Hall's the underdog. That's the number that didn't make sense to me. So I kind of like Hall as an upset. Yeah, I mean that's uh, the thing with Uriah is you just don't know what you're gonna get for him from him. He's yeah. you know he's you either get an A or an F. You don't get too many C pluses or B minuses in there with him. But that's not a bad that's not a bad choice. And the other two is for me is I'm not gonna pick Alexei Olenek to win out right. I'm not I'm not that nuts. But Fabrizio Verdum's looking at you know more than two years on the sidelines. Um, like you mentioned, he had that USADA issue, and then um, whole long story he. He asked for his release. Uh, he ended up coming back. You know, it was all big things. So, you know, like we talked about earlier with Cruz, you know, this is a guy who's been away for a while. Octagon rust is real, regardless of what Dominic Cruz says. And Verdum has been gone for over two years. So, you know, maybe Olenek can pull an upset there. It's only He's only 7,000, one of the cheapest fighters on the card. So maybe you get some relief there. And, you know, the other one I wanted to mention quick was the Vicente Luque-Nico Price fight and... Um, Luque is a big favorite, 9,000, minus 265, price is only 7,200, but uh, this is another fight where this is two guys who all they do is brawl, 
and um, Luke is better, but when you got two guys who you know are going to go in there and just stand toe to toe and pound the holy heck out of each other, mm-hmm. hey, maybe Price at seventy two hundred lands one big shot, you know, that scores a finish. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's yeah. not like uh, it's not like uh, uh, Luke is going to go in there and wrestle, you know, Price and Price isn't going to get a chance to land his offense. He's going to get mm-hmm. a, sh- a shot. So the same, essentially, it's the same argument you're using. Um, in a potential uh, Rosenstruck fight, you know, you don't think he's going to win because he's facing somebody better and somebody with more power, but at least the circumstances are there for him to do what he does well. It's yeah. probably not going to be enough, but mm-hmm. it, it, he'll get his chance. This is what I'm on the other side of. Um, we also own Luke in that dynasty thing <laughs> for, for what that's worth. But oh, um, yeah, we got him eh, relatively cheap, less than 10% of the budget. Anyway, uh, but no, I'm actually I'm on the other side of, of that fight so much so that I consider Luke as a captain spot on FanDuel. Um, we know he's got a crazy chin. We've seen that in several of his fights. You know, Stephen Thompson couldn't finish him even though he dominated him. He got hit by Barbarina a little bit too much for my liking, but it really put the chin on display. I think Luke comes back and comes back in a big way. Remember, these two fought already before Luke submitted him in the past in the second round. Um, yeah, I, I, I dig Luke. I mean, we could talk about all of these fights because it's an exceptional card. I think we we did touch on pretty much all of them over the course of this show here. Yeah, we didn't gloss over any of them. We at least had this. We don't. Uh, we didn't say much about Mitchell and Rosa, but uh, you know, that's pretty straight. I don't. I don't know if there's anything there. Um, not one. The odds to finish on that one are actually uh, not great, if I remember. One forty-five, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, not a super fantasy-friendly fight, but uh, hey, maybe other people are overlooking it too, and if you pick the early winner, um, you can get a little GPP edge, I mean, uh, which can yeah. happen. Yeah, the only other thing, I mean, you were mentioning, we were talking earlier about the FanDuel captain spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you could also, who a guy who we haven't really talked about is, the only other guy who would might be a contender is Ryan's fan, and I only say that because Sam Alvey, possesses no footwork whatsoever and just stands there and throws bombs so yeah you know i don't think span's particularly good but he's big he's six foot five so he's one of the taller fighters in the division big long arms long limbs and you know alvi's lack of defense and lack of yeah. footwork you know I, could come in i'm afraid of that fight being like a snoozer where the winner gets like 40 50 DraftKings points i don't see either of them being a ton of high volume guys are getting it done and plus span of course is the most expensive as the biggest favorite on the card so i don't particularly care for him as the captain i'm, I'm actually probably fading that fight because um i, I guess what are the odds of finish i'm seeing here are eh, minus 205 so they're not bad i guess but um i don't necessarily i mean maybe they're really motivated it's the first fight of the whole night on the early prelims could be really awesome i guess but uh i don't know that, that that's one that doesn't necessarily do a whole lot for me but who knows that's just me yeah i mean it's you know if you're trying to win one of those we say this all the time you mentioned earlier you weren't you're not playing cash and you're looking for one of those big gpp things you're gonna have to leave salary on the table and come up with some crazy unique combination that you look at it when you submit your lineup and you're like what the heck am i doing but that's what's that's what wins those things it's yeah. it's gonna be some crazy thing yeah we both picked uh you know four out of five favorites on the main card but there's gonna be some upsets on on this card and i bet you when it's all said and done maybe we only see three favorites win on the main card something's gonna surprise us at some point it just has that feeling here but uh man we've gone over an hour it's been uh, great breaking down fights with you john i want to thank again uh our audience for listening to the road wire mixed martial arts podcast of course brought to you by espn plus the home of ufc 249 the only place you can watch ufc 249 again he's john littering you can follow him on twitter at j-o-n-l-i-t-t-e-r-i-n-e i'm jake Latarski. you can follow me at roto jake we'll be back to you with you guys uh prior to ufc 250 whenever and wherever that might be i know perth just got canceled this week the only ones listed on the site are uh this weekend and then we're going to do jacksonville may 13th and may 16th we'll do some dfs previews for you there uh probably no show unless uh we're really feeling frisky but uh Until then, uh, we wish you the best of luck with those daily lineups, and thanks for listening. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Grainger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. 
Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.